law school chooses you. You don't get to choose it. Law school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, are you going to law school? Is that is that what I'm hearing? Maybe. I, hearing? I don't know. I go back and forth between a PhD and law school. Last week it was years. a last week it was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to law school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Last week, it was, <laughs> <laughs> this week it's I don't know. I go back and forth. Yeah, it, it changes every week. Um one day I'll sit down and just I'm pretty sure. All right. Well, welcome to Engineering Misjudgment with me, Shannon. Um, I have a degree in chemical engineering and work as a risk consultant engineer. Eventually, I'll tell you more about me, but today is not that day. Today, our topic is the worst methane leak and explosion, allegedly, at the Marcellus Shell. So today is a very exciting episode because it won't just be me. Um, We have the hosts from the Why Not podcast. Hi, Thomas and Caleb. Hello. Excited to be here. Yeah. Um, So... I guess we all know each other from Clemson. Uh, that's, I guess that's, we, I don't know if we were there overlapping, I think maybe for a year since I graduated mm-hmm. in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But these, these guys, they have a wonderful podcast called Why Not? A podcast that talk about mm-hmm. politics, different policies. And y'all know I like to rant over here about policies after I talk about engineering stuff. So wanted to bring them on. If y'all want to introduce yourself, y'all can do that too. Caleb, Thomas, the floor is no. Thomas, the floor is yours. I literally, we're just passing the ball off. Not trying to introduce I don't know, like, how to introduce necessarily. I went to Clemson. Uh, we were all orientation ambassadors at one point in time, which I think is super interesting. I kind of love that um, intersection that we have. Um, and, yeah, we are, we do a lot on our podcast, but we mostly just, like, talk about systemic issues, get really sad at the end of it. And then tell people that we should do something about this collectively. <laughs> Is that accurate, Caleb? I mean, I guess, man. I, I I think like the way I think about it is like me and Thomas go into every podcast trying to teach each other about an issue. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, you know, it's not like we're not trying to make everything like too um complicated, too advanced. We're trying to get it so it can send a message so that other people can try to like make a change, you know. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I think that, that that might be the way I would describe it. That's a very good way, Caleb. Oh, I, I try. Um, I'm Caleb. I am a mediocre law school law school student. I graduated from Clemson in 2020 uh, in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, and now I live in Oregon. So that's all you need to know about me. What a like switch. Ron Swanson over here. <laughs> very Swanson. I'm also a master's student at University of Houston studying my master's in education. Right. Yeah. Good. Super smart guys. Um, I'm just over here, you know, doing what I can with an undergraduate degree, trying to making a lot more money than we were. <laughs> yes, <laughs> trying to avoid going to grad school as much as possible. But it's just like world is ending. Do I go to grad school? I don't know. I don't know about that choice on my end. I don't think I can do more school. But um, I also really want to make things um, simple and easy to understand. That's kind of the point of my podcast too. So. I think it's a great partnership for us to have and kind of continue with and see where it goes. So before we get into what happened and talk about our topic, let's talk about things that you should know. So Thomas and Caleb, what do y'all know about natural gas? How it's used, who gets access to it, who finds it? What do y'all know about that? I'm going to let Thomas go first. I want to hear what he says. Oh, see, now y'all are putting me on the spot because I... um... I don't really know too much about it. <laughs> oh, and that's okay. Sometimes we don't know all the things. We don't, we don't need, I really don't know. Like, I can only think of just about how it's not good. 
and it's like not a good thing for fair, the, fair. Oh, <laughs> um, but I'm gonna be honest. I don't know the specifics behind it, so I'm gonna let Caleb think. Um, so natural gas arose like as an alternative to coal um, in the 1970s, 1980s. It really became economically viable then. Um, it is cleaner than other fossil fuels, like than straight oil or um, or coal or anything like that. Um, typically, it's not drilled out of the ocean like other things. It's drilled out of like land, right? That's why we're going to be talking about fracking. Um, you know, every movie that you've ever seen where there's like a, um, a a rep from an oil company go into people's lands, like random farms, and be like, "Hey, we'll lease your land uh, for like way less than what we can make profits based off the oil coming out underneath of it." Um, that's normally natural gas um, drilling. Yeah, I don't have too much more to say because I'm sure you're going to go way more into detail, Shannon. But like yeah, that's like the sure. gist of what I know. Yeah, for sure. That is like right on the money. Exactly what we're going to be talking about in this section about what you need to know about natural gas. So natural gas is defined by the U.S. Energy Information Administration, also known as the EIA, which I have an episode on if you want to learn more about that. Um, as a fossil energy source that is formed deep beneath the Earth's surface, natural gas contains many different compounds. The largest compound of natural gas is methane. Um, a compound with one carbon atom and four hydrogen atoms, most likely seen as CH subscript four. Natural gas also contains smaller amounts of natural gas liquids and non-hydrocarbon gases, such as carbon dioxide and water vapor. Um, and fun fact, natural gas does not smell. So I didn't really look this up specifically, but the smaller hydrocarbons usually don't have the aromatics to give it a smell. So a lot of the times, Companies will put in things like sulfur just in case there is a leak um, mm-hmm. that you can be able to identify it. So if, every, if anyone ever talks about, oh, smelling gas, that's kind of, it's yeah, true. because Yeah, it's, it's probably, probably just, just an sulfur. additive. Yeah. yeah, just an additive they've had in there. Now, you might be wondering why it's called natural. It comes from the earth, just like Caleb was saying. Um, and it's different than other gases you may know of, like propane or liquefied petroleum gases, gases which come from processing crude oil. So most of the time, chemical engineers, our job is to figure out how to make money off the byproducts of things we already know how to make. So we know how to make and use crude oil. And a lot of the times we'll get all this extraneous material that we need to figure out how to sell. Regardless if it's good for the environment or not, or good for people, we got to figure out how to sell it. With crude oil, um, your costs are mostly discovery, refining, and trying to figure out how to use all the stuff that's not obvious for use. Um, you take the crude oil, you heat it up, put it in a distillation column, light stuff flows to the top, and the heavier stuff floats out the bottom. Um, but with refining oil, you can kind of make that more specific than having just two outflows. You can have a column that basically fractions it out by weight, and that is obviously called a fractionation column. We don't get really creative with the names Mm -hmm. over in the engineering department. Um, And doing that is really expensive. So kind of bringing up the point Caleb was talking about, about in the 1970s and 80s with natural gas becoming um, one of the energy sources we can use, you don't have to use that process. You can pretty much just pull it straight out of the ground through fracking. Imagine them finding that or figuring that out above like crude oil sources, that was insane. Chemical engineers, geologists, people like that, they're like, yeah, we really hit the jackpot. <laughs> so once they figured out how to use it. 
And most natural gas you can find in overlying rocks, tiny spaces between sedimentary rocks and sandstone. And then, of course, above crude oil sources. I had no plans of working in oil when I was in school as a chemical engineer, but it's used in a lot of examples. And because of this, I didn't take the geology rock class, but I always thought it was cute how they had the little boxes of rocks. Did either of y'all take that class or hear anyone in it? Like, it was just (laughs) a thing. I did not. That's so interesting, though, because now that you're talking about this and, like, these bigger complex things, like, I was thinking through my head, I wonder, like, what do students take to be able to, like, understand all this breadth of knowledge? And, hey, studying rock, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I can't really judge them too hard because I definitely did wash sand for a whole summer. <laughs> one of my <laughs> one of my research projects was to basically build a wastewater treatment process with all natural products. So I literally washed sand. That was, yeah, did that for like six hours a day wow. and the other two hours a day, just like random research on waste, natural wastewater systems and um, sunk tanks and stuff like that. So very... In Ohio, actually. Very boring, but wow. good time. <laughs> Washing sand in Ohio. That sounds like an album. Yep. Like that. I mean, they paid <laughs> me to do it. They paid me to do it. Now, did they pay me? Well, no. Mm. But I did have a good time. There was free food. Lots of fun people in my program. The first time and I've I, ever heard anyone say that they had a fun time in Ohio. Right? <laughs> <laughs> As someone I, from Ohio. <laughs> I had such low expectations for Columbus because I was at <laughs> Ohio State doing stuff. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to like it here. Didn't like Ohio State, but I did kind of like Columbus. Columbus is just the armpit of the Midwest. Yeah. Like, you know, how like the the human, the human body goes down in the United States. You got New Jersey in one armpit and Columbus in the other. (laughs) Truly. And I went to all cities in Ohio that summer too. Went to Cleveland. That was the same um, time as the Republican convention, 2016. I was there. That's fun. During, during that. (laughs) Yeah. That's real fun. Yeah, I was watching all that go <laughs> down in real time. But okay, back to natural gas. Natural gas um, from overlying rock with large crack spaces can be drilled and they flow into re- wells. Um, this comes with risk, but since it's similar to oil, the risks are dismissed, which is pretty wrong in my opinion. The other way to get natural gas, especially in the small spaces of shale, is to do hydraulic fracturing or fracking. In this process, chemicals are injected into the ground at high pressure to get that gas or oil, because sometimes they do it kind of at the same time, to be easily accessed and come up in those wells. Fracking isn't new. It isn't a new process. Uh, Most engineers, chemical geologists, kind of in that vein, have always known how to do this process, but finding the natural gas resources is really the limiting factor. And I'll put an explainer that is from Vox, I think, through ProPublica on that. It's a really good picture to kind of show you the whole process of fracking. Fracking is used in the area we are talking about today above the Marcellus Shell Formation, which extends over the states of Western Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York. So yeah, those areas, of course, have were populated before or kind of around the same time that they knew that natural gas was there. But, you know, now they're kind of going back and since they have the technology of fracking and gotten it in a better place, they're using that to bring up as much energy as they can in those areas, even though it's pretty close to big populations and 
populations that are vulnerable, but the economic impact is something that is kind of overruling that at this point. So, um, so Caleb, this is a question I kind of had for you. Did you learn at all about the um, economics of how natural gas can help with like renewables? Is that something that y'all talked about? Cause we kind of did, but it was very, you need natural gas for renewable sources because renewables can't support themselves. But yeah. I don't know if that's still kind of a prevailing thing on the people who are like kind of associated with it. Well, I mean, you got to think we went to Clemson. So like, of <laughs> yeah. course, that's like still <laughs> yeah. a prevailing like, yeah. idea. How I remember it is like the discussion around natural gas transitioning into renewables was that it was a, a necessary evil. You know, it's like that was like the topic. That was like the talking point, right? In like the environmental natural resource camp, Clemson. Is that true? I don't think so. I don't, yeah. you know, the the economic viability of renewables has gone up so quickly as technologies advanced, even over the past like five years. Do, do you want me to deep dive into economics real quick on this or do you want me to? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the basically what's happening here, right, is that like there's there's a um there's a benefit cost analysis happening among all of these different like energy and gas firms, right? They're deciding that the 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 cost of fracking, the both the like the literal economic cost and the way less than the the economic gain that they're making by like selling the natural gas uh, through these processes, right? For like an environmentalist, <laughs> we you would argue that that's not true, right? Like the environmental externalities, both through like the release of methane and through like the possibility of groundwater. Um, groundwater pollution is so high and like the human damage from that is so high that like the economic benefit is 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 all, all but completely canceled out right for sure yeah uh, yeah that's that's kind of like the that's like my thought process on it from mm-hmm. like what i learned at clemson you probably wouldn't get there but yeah like if you do like you know research on like what the environmental impacts of all this is it's um it's pretty steep yeah. So my, the, the department head for chemical engineering, when I was at Clemson, he was, he would basically whisper in all of our like green energy classes about how he was pretty much left of center. Um, but no one else in our department was. So he tried to kind of like only talk about it in the green engineering classes and the renewable engineering classes that you kind of had to take as a elective within your major. And one of the interesting things I remember learning about was with power generation at natural gas facility that use natural gas as facilities there they aren't any better at ramping up than any other power plant renewable or not so even on the point of meeting demand or spikes in demand natural gas isn't any better at it than solar or wind or anything like that another limiting factor that we always kind of knew about but again the technology has developed way faster than anyone would have predicted is power storage So one of the things with solar and wind specifically is it's not windy all the time or it's not sunny all the time or you're not getting efficient energy production. But as batteries get bigger or batteries get better, and if we were to make the necessary upgrades that we needed to the grid, we would be able to support a lot more um, just on renewables without natural gas. So yeah, I I definitely think that's something that we got kind of glossed over in our education and then kind of mm-hmm. had to 
correct towards the end of our degrees and then later on which once we graduated so yeah yeah very interesting now thomas i actually want to hear from you do y'all talk about this at all anywhere in any of your stuff or you know is there any like policy impacts or education impacts that you know that gets discussed about renewables and how it like actually works at some level I mean, it's it's interesting because the the only one I can make kind of an intersection to a bit that could talk about this issue and could talk about like renewable energies and just the the usage of of natural gas could be within um, there was a policy that came out this past year that me and Caleb had an episode on was mm-hmm. the Green New Deal for Education, which is basically a, a big attempting to be a big landmark policy change um, making changes to address the climate crisis concerns um, and a lot of the things that schools need to do um, to be more green schools and to be um, just better for the environment could be done with this bill, but it'd take billions of dollars. It'd be a big investment could be done. I'm not sure if we'll see it just based on politics, but it does kind of address one of those things of ways that education can also become hubs for um, addressing the climate and using better resources and using like greenhouses on different school campuses and things like that. So it does touch it a bit, but I think for any wide scale things to happen, it will take kind of those small steps. And I think you have to be able to teach students things like this um, very early on and be able to kind of get them a knowledge and abreast to it in their science classes. Um, But when you do that and when you have a more positive, more green, eco-friendly curriculum that would address some of those things i think you could do it um but it takes like school leadership and it intersects with school board elections and if the parents of oil execs are on like school boards and like have like money come in certain ways which we see a lot especially in the south and and, in a lot of different places um, it may be a little bit harder to do some of some of those more local green new deal for education um initiatives but it's it's a widely popular thing among um, some of the biggest education groups in the country. Um, so it is something that is, it's not talked about enough and you don't see that intersection between education and like energy. Yeah. And I will say for us in college, I guess in high school, I had a little bit of exposure to it because I did get the opportunity to take a research class and be in a program that was focused on science. Mm-hmm. So I did have, but it was all doing my own research. It wasn't necessarily, you know, something that was, structured mm-hmm. <laughs> for me to learn mm-hmm. about but at, at Clemson all of the technologies we got to interact with as engineers were because they were on our campus so like mm-hmm. the architecture building is heated and cooled and I don't know if it's fully powered but heated yeah. and cooled by geothermal energy and yeah. so we got to fully tour that and if you know if our campus was you know solar or wind or like actually had those technologies then we would have been able to do more with it but instead kind of on the other end of that the rest of the campus was heated and cooled by a very like traditional boiler gas fueled um, system which we did a whole project on so even that it's easier to transition when those technologies are like actually right where you are yeah, um, when they're when they're present, and and, yeah. kids, and kids will understand that, and certain kids will in certain districts be able to see that, um, but in other ones they won't be. Able to, so no, that's a great. All right, um, so let's talk about the incident. Most of the information today will be a, from a published study completed after the disaster that quantified the impact of the methane 
um, aka natural gas, that leaked. So February 15, 2018, a gas, a gas well exploded in Belmont County of Ohio. This area is near the Ohio-West Virginia border and within the Marcellus Shale Formation. We, this well was owned and operated by XTO Energy, um, which is a subsidiary of Exxon. And are we surprised? No, but are we disappointed? Yes. Um, welcome to the episode where we talk crap about Exxon. <laughs> So, I mean, in my opinion, I guess because I've had hands-on experience with being recruited by Exxon, I know for a fact that they are one of the biggest anti-climate change actors in the world, and they are swiping up talent as much as they can. So speaking of people being on the board who are oil or like, you know, involved in oil, a significant number of our chemical department I don't know if they're industry ambassadors. I'm not really sure how you will say, but they kind of help the department decide what we should learn along with, you know, general accreditation for your school. Um, So there's like alumni who's been working in different fields for, you know, 20, 25 years. who will come back. A lot of those people are Exxon or they work for Exxon and they might work somewhere else because they have money and they have time to actually donate and give back to the department the engineering department specifically. And over and over, they have known for a fact that climate change is bad and they just keep doing things to not support anything that's going to actually keep us away from that type of disasters, those types of disasters. And I think the thing for me that has always gotten me about Exxon and all of their subsidiaries is that they are bringing in some of the most talented engineers to basically cover for them. I was lucky because my GPA wasn't even high enough to qualify. <laughs> so, I mean, they were interested because of what I looked like in my communication style, but they were not interested because I wasn't the top of the top of the top. So, you know, our talent pool in the U.S. isn't even being able to work on renewables in a honest way because money. <laughs> so um, what do y'all think about that? Any any thoughts? Any questions, concerns, general shade y'all'd like to throw at Exxon? <laughs> I'll let Caleb go first. This is this is really, really Exxon Mobil sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> to start, I think you've you've like you, you laid out like the the history of climate denial, right? They've they've known about like what fossil fuels have been doing to the, to the atmosphere, to the climate since like the 1960s, 1970s, right? There's this huge uh, report that they had that was like hidden away. Um, I think it might be this article um, that you've got in the Google doc that like kind of exposes um, the amount of like what they knew, how long they've known it um, and, you know, what they did to just kind of make a, make a buck, you know, uh, without, without acknowledging the like, the possibility of future catastrophe that we're starting to feel now. Yeah. They just suck. (laughs) You know, like I don't, outside of that, like I don't have anything um, meaningful to add. Like I don't have any personal experience with them or anything. Not, not good people, (laughs) not good people on that board. No. Yeah. I just wonder like, what's the, um, what's the politics behind like filing a lawsuit against them and like what would that look like and i'm sure there's probably intimidation and, and scare taxes that are being used to make sure that doesn't happen um uh, but I, I just wonder like if like the sunrise movement um or a bunch of other big like non-profity 
um, organizations came together to like do a lawsuit because I know like ACLU does lawsuits all the time and I'm, I'm sure one has maybe even be out um I just wonder what that court battle would look like and yeah. could they like take down a big company I mean honestly probably not unfortunately they just Exxon <laughs> I guess Exxon just has so much money like yeah. one of the yeah. reasons why I even considered doing an internship with them or interviewing for a job there was because I mean I had heard from people who were in my like sorority engineering sorority and other people who were in my major that like after tax you were making 10 grand a month like that was even in engineering that's unheard of to like Mm -hmm. make that much money off your first internship after your junior or sophomore year like yeah it's it's insane and then the people who do decide to leave like I do know one person who worked for I think I don't think she worked for Exxon but she worked for um, Chevron which they all come from standard oil Um, they're all just you know from that huge monopoly they kind of mm-hmm. all split out into their own thing, um, including BP, Chevron, and Exxon. They, uh, it's just so much talent. <laughs> it just goes that way because it's so much money to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when they leave, they can use that forever on their resume. That's getting them into like the top business schools, the top law schools. Like, even if they decide to denounce it, it's kind of hard to avoid once it's like on your resume to acknowledge it. So, yeah, they don't go to a top law school. So. <laughs> Middle of the road. <laughs> really kill it. Um, Thomas, I, I, you said that thing about like about what a lawsuit against ExxonMobil would look like, and it yeah. like, triggered something in my brain. There is a lawsuit going on right now mm-hmm. um, from the Commonwealth of uh, Massachusetts, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the government, the state government of Massachusetts has sued ExxonMobil for their active lying um, and deceit, right? Um, it's basically like a neg- negligence claim. Um, mm. Uh, saying that ExxonMobil willingly, you know, misled the public and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. As of June 23rd mm-hmm. of last year, the lawsuit, uh, it withstood like a challenge. Oh, wow. Um, of dismissal. So it's still going. Okay. Um, and on an activist front, ExxonMobil's 12 member board won the, an, an activist hedge fund uh, focused on climate change, won three seats on Exxon's board. So Whoa. kind of all, all good news. ExxonMobil camp, you know, excuse yeah. my language. Excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> that's really good news, actually. It is. That's good to hear. And then also, I just like, I guess as a person who just, I have a lot of friends who are engineers because that's who I was closest to to make friends with in school. I like really want us to get more involved in like some of that activist stuff. But sometimes we're just like, I don't know, maybe we're not the best people that they go for <laughs> because they just assume we work in the industry and we're not interested in doing any type of like activist or policy work because we do the, I guess, calculations lab type of people. <laughs> so yeah, I'm really, one of the reasons why I want to start this podcast is actually like to get my friends upset and be like, not only are your companies are bad, but wait till we get to the ones that work for the Nazis. Um. Yeah. <laughs> but no, honestly, but and like I love this. What I love that, but like I love that. Like it takes an inside game as well. Like I think there's, yeah. like, there's different flavors to, to all this and how this can work. And um, I don't know. I think that's a, a really important point to be able to say. Yeah. So for this incident, the EPA reports um, indicated the blowout occurred because of uncontrolled venting. Um, this seems really simple, simple, but it's pretty reasonable based on what they were doing there. According to the EPA, 
the wellhead flashes and catches fire on an intermittent basis. And the EPA does write that fairly casually, but that is pretty much what happens. There's a lot of places who do um, oil drilling, and a lot of times you'll see kind of like a fire flare from them. And that is sometimes that natural gas that they cannot capture um, and use later on. So that's where, if you've ever seen any type of like oil refinery, that's where that comes from. And in this case, the venting for that wasn't properly made for what they were doing. I mean, I've written stuff like this casually (laughs) in reports that I do on a day-to-day, especially as a person working in fire protection engineering. Um, So it does seem weird to say that things catch on fire on an intermittent basis, but that is fairly normal. (laughs) That's a a very casual thing. Yeah, yeah. To be like, yeah. I mean, I've started scenarios that's like, sprinkler system is out of service and fire spreads to the whole warehouse. Like it's just very, you just say it and you move on. So you can like do the rest of the calculations or whatever report you need to do that day. So that I feel like if you aren't a person who's in this, that sounds insane that that happens all the time, but that's pretty normal. In this case, homes within a one mile radius were evacuated and the fires lasted three days, but most couldn't return for weeks because of the natural gas Um, exposure and kind of how close they were to everything. And at that point, um, the natural gas wouldn't have had had any of those additives um, so that you could smell it or detect it. So they kind of kept everyone evacuated from the area. After the explosion, the EPA, with the help of XTO, estimated an uncontrolled release of natural gas five times lower than the actual amount discovered, which was 60 kilotons of natural gas. I tried to find a comparison for like how much that is, but I couldn't even figure out like how much that would have been in a energy sense. So I went and found a research paper who did a study on this a few years after that said, assuming a constant emission rate during the whole event, we find the total methane emission from the 20 day blowout to be equivalent to a substantial fraction of the annual total anthropogenic emissions of several European countries. So it was a lot of fucking gas. Wow. <laughs> um, so it wasn't. God bless yeah. America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't small at all. Um, the evacuations were definitely warranted and they may have even just stay out of the area for a while. Um, they did have a couple of some damage to kind of the surrounding houses and stuff like that. But most things were far enough removed that the only damage was to the wells, which honestly, that's great. I love you love to hear it. Um, But of course, they went back and started using it more. Um, I don't think they have active wells in this specific area, but they do have some that's near it. So maybe not in the same technical oil field, but they do still have them. What was the misjudgment here? Like, yeah, the venting was bad and probably was incorrectly sized. But here, it's not necessarily the venting that was what went wrong, because that is some of the risks that you take when you're designing a process like that. I would say the engineering misjudgment here is doing fracking in the first place when you actually have oil um, that not not necessarily is less of a risk, but there's always a risk that comes with any of these things, but you already know how to process it and get it out of the ground that's not near different populations. But then also having renewables and never, you know, considering that or actually putting more money and resources into that instead the resources and money was put into natural gas. And one of the questions I always have when I look at some of these scenarios is like what politics allowed for that to happen in that area? 
And I didn't know if y'all knew anything about this area or kind of what their policies are when it comes to, you know, building process plants or um, building process areas um, near, uh, I guess, residential populations. But do y'all know anything about that or like how, how it's allowed or anything like in Ohio, that? In Ohio, everything's just kind of fair game. <laughs> so, <I don't> <laughs> really? I, I wonder, but that has got to be some type of, some type of really old law that's probably again money driven that's like oh yeah we can just put things anywhere but I, and that's a whole big part of um the future of like cities and how they're being made and how they're being constructed like i know for example in houston like in the city of houston like in the city like, there are no zoning laws at all mm-hmm. there are none you would just put up anything <laughs> anywhere it yeah awful it's created a horrible system and even in this way of this kind of intersects with, with the climate um there's been a lot of pushback on the expansion of I-45, Interstate 45, which is going to go right through people's homes and people's communities. And yes, like there, you can like speak at um, Department of Transportation meetings and things like that. And like, of course, local city meetings who sign off on these things. But it it is a really uphill battle when there's a lot of corporate interest at play, um, a lot of money at play to be able to make sure that they, the economic output is going to be greater than the human loss or, you know, the human capital aspect. Um, so it, it makes it really tough to try to reverse those types of policies or fight mm-hmm. them. But it can be done. Yeah. And one of the things also to think about is with people looking for more affordable houses, more affordable places to build, not sealing wells correctly can also become an issue. Um, one of the cities that this is actually a really big issue is Los Angeles. So for a while, Los Angeles was a big oil place. There was oil drills all across the city in places that are pretty iconic, Echo Park, um, downtown LA, just places that you would now just see buildings and um, development. And so in some of the areas, those wells have been leaking. I mean, there's pretty much oil slicks down the road. Um, I saw a video on this. I think it was from AJ News or maybe Vox News that you can find on YouTube. But yeah, my question also with this type of scenario is like, okay, yeah, maybe you aren't using the well anymore. Um, and that's great because that's not in that area anymore, but was it sealed? What type of like records do we have on it? How do we know for later down the line, maybe in 10, 15, 20 years, if somebody wants to build in that area because of economic growth, that they'll know that this had happened before. So oh. I think that's something that also needs to be thought about, not just, you know, oh, there was a fire there, some people evacuated, and especially with populations having to move to different cities for economic opportunities, that storytelling is also lost. Um, That's something that in Los Angeles case, they were actually able to keep up with because people had constantly been in the area, Mm -hmm. but that's definitely not the case. And especially places like the South, um, you have different areas in Mississippi, Alabama, um, even all the way up to, or kind of way all the way over to Georgia that have, you know, chemical plants that were abandoned or maybe not fully cleaned up that people are now moving into um, because it's close to nice metropolitan areas that are affordable. So, mm. yeah. yeah, I think the pressure, a, oh, yeah, I think the, no, you're good. I just think the pressure to like, make sure we have energy um, was where we really, where they really fucked it up there. <laughs> like that's rough because it makes me think of like those rural places where folks are living on these abandoned places are 
often lower income, often black and brown, often indigenous folks, and, and thinking about how that is a direct impact on their environment and the air they breathe and the water they drink and all the things like that and to not even know it and mostly wouldn't, um, which is really, really interesting. It makes me think. Yeah. It's like you can't be an activist if you don't even know it's there. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if everyone's already gotten cancer or moved out because there's no opportunities there, then mm-hmm. there's not much you can do to like act on that. So it's really important to like keep a record of these and not just hide them behind a random EPA white paper that I found because I'm just a child of the internet. (laughs) Thank you for your research. Yeah. I mean, maybe I should go to grad school. At least I could get paid (laughs) for the research. (laughs) Exactly. No, go to grad school. Or maybe not. (laughs) Or maybe not. Um, Did y'all have any other things that y'all wanted to add? I feel like, I feel like we uh, maybe glossed over like the the impact of methane, like Mm -hmm. as like a greenhouse gas. I think you said it's like a you said it was like a substantial fraction of mm-hmm. yearly methane uh, release, and methane's like the worst. <laughs> like it's it's horrible for like you know we always think of like CO two as as carbon dioxide as like the the main like pollutant, which it is. You know it's it's definitely more abundant like more abundant in the atmosphere because of human activities. Like methane, like either produced through processes like fracking or like even the process of like cultivating agriculture like having Mm -hmm. meat having um, all that kind of stuff like methane really is a it's a it's the type of um greenhouse gas that really just sticks in the atmosphere it's what blocks the um blocks a lot of the natural processes from taking place so i don't know like just as like a quick add-on at the end here i guess yeah it definitely disrupts a lot of our like natural cycles so you have um it's technically of course it's the water cycle but also importantly the nitrogen cycle because you're not getting the main turnaround that you need in all of your watersheds um when you do have an excess methane floating around um and again like you said the agricultural um impacts of agricultural contributions of methane and the industry contributions of methane are really high and really contributing to our climate issues there is things that need to be addressed there that honestly i don't know when they will be addressed, but one of the things we can do is stop fracking because those are always going to have some release of methane that's unused that's just going to go into the environment, even if it isn't fracking bad. Before we manage in, in the um, yeah. in the in the this debate, I know you do 2020 debate um, where he was like, "I'm not going to stop fracking." I never. Oh that. yeah, I remember on um on like Twitter and like Instagram and all that shit. It was like Republicans. Fracking is good. We love fracking. And it was like Democrats. I'm not going to stop fracking. We need to like figure out a way to like. This is like the this is like the Green New Deal like push, right? Like mm-hmm. create economic activity from replace these shit like these jobs that are one probably mistreating their workers and two absolutely horrible for the environment with like good government unionized jobs, right? And like that are good for the environment. Like create like. Uh, the solar panels and the wind turbines and all the all the shit you know like uh, like an incident like this should just show like why we need to make the switch yeah you no, know, it does. like why it's so easy you know? yeah it's too easy for them to do whatever they want i don't like it but here i am <laughs> working in industry trying to do my best but you know that's another thing i there was no green jobs that really recruited at clemson 
other than consulting jobs. So the closest you can get is maybe you can get for a consulting company that can like does green energy projects, but that's few and far between, especially when the military industrial complex really mm. fuels your paycheck. It's like pick your shitty capitalism job. Do you want to work in oil? Do you want to work in the military industrial complex? Do you want to work in healthcare? Or do you want to work in the financial industry? Pick one. <laughs> that's rough. God, yeah. that's rough. Wow. And you're That's like, so rough. even my friends who went into healthcare, they were like, yeah, like, it's not good, fam. This is not good. We're being exploited. And there's <laughs> nothing we can do about it because we actually care about people. <laughs> yeah. Pick your, is, that, is that what life is? Just picking your poison and, you know, just staying in the lane until... You go and then you die, and that's it. I'm sorry to get so morbid, but I don't know. I'm just like thinking of like, is this how it is? I don't know. I mean, just to kind of more end on a hopeful note, <laughs> I think that there are smart people out there who mm-hmm. want to stop this. And the more we kind of talk about it and get it out there, we can maybe bring up these points to established organizations like the Sunrise Movement, like the um, ACLU. Um, and bring it to their attention. Because a lot of the times I feel like I'll know or learn about things and I don't know where to take it because Mm. taking it to a politician, taking it to a policy isn't very helpful. Taking it to my community is helpful, but we have about the same amount of power together collectively as not, you know, politicians who are powerful who can kind of drown us out. I think, I still think there's hope, (laughs) which I don't know where I get it from, but... Yeah, I still think there's hope that we can make changes to it, especially by talking about it, exposing it, and talking to more people to say, hey, is this something you want to be happening? Really? Like, are, do you really support fracking? Mm-hmm. You really support these policies that maybe can materially impact the lives, your life, your kid's life, your grandkids' life? Yeah. Like, let's, only, let's talk about it. <laughs> it's something me and Kayla talk about all the time. It's like, when, when is people are going to have this humanity for, like, the next generation like these things are going to affect all of us and the fact that our almost our politicians are old and like really don't have to care about it does not help at all um so i i think i agree if i have some hope i'll put some hope in this very humanity centered people power building um young generation i think we're all a part of it we're going to hopefully see some change yeah so um i think that's all we're going to talk about today hopefully i can Get these busy, busy boys back on podcasts. They're very hard to schedule. Um, they have so much going on. They're very important people. Really changing our world out there. I'm just oh, in no. my closet recording my podcast. <laughs> we, so. are, we are unimportant. <laughs> I am very <laughs> Thank y'all so it. much for listening. Um, why not a podcast? I'll make sure to link them in the bio of this episode. Is there anywhere that they want, y'all want people to follow y'all specifically? Yes. Um, follow us on all social media. We're on all of them. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we have our own website, why not a podcast.com, where you can find different blogs that we'll be doing in the future um, and just kind of how this podcast got started. So, yeah. Thank you for listening today, and thanks to the Why Not Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to both podcasts on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any episodes. You can also find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ENG underscore misjudgment for photos and send a DM if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. Thank you so much for listening. Dumb Spiros Pharaoh. Bye.